We're turning tonight to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. And we'll just read a short portion. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the fields, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. <coughs> but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Galatians chapter 2 and the verse 16. And my subject tonight is the cardinal doctrine of the Reformation. Namely, of course, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now let me give you a little short history lesson if I can. From the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the 120 in the upper room, the early church met with great success. Thousands were gloriously converted. Under the powerful spirit-anointed preaching of the apostles, a great advancement was made for the cause of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the space of, say, 30 years, the whole of Asia had heard the word of God. The apostles were known as the men who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Then in AD 67, something happened. The Roman emperor came into its own. Sadly, a sea change took place for the life of the church. Now there was going to be a period of complete intolerance toward 
Christianity. This was a period of bloodthirsty persecution for the church. Christians were sewn up in animal skins and thrown to wild beasts. Others had oil smeared on them and set alight. They were used as human torches in the gardens of the rich. Thousands were crucified, some of them upside down. Even young boys and young girls, 10, 12, 15 at a time, they were brought together in the Roman Colosseum. The wild beasts were let out. Remember I told you a few weeks ago how the children stood and held hands and sang praises to God and allowed the lions and the tigers to devour them. The best of men and women, young people, were brutally put to death to the amusement of many, even Nero the emperor. This was a wave of intense persecution, the first wave of persecution against the church under Nero the emperor. Sadly, this was to be followed by another period of nine persecutions against the church. Nine other emperors followed in Nero's wake and persecuted the Christians. In, in fact, from AD 67 right through to about 330 AD, a period of some 250 years, the Christians were martyred simply for being Christians. But amazingly, to the glory of God, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Despite being despised and denounced and despite being destitute uh, and despite being persecuted in this way, the church grew. The church remained true to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Then in 313 AD, another sea change took place. Constantine the Great came to power in Rome. And a different form of attack uh, was to befall the church. The matter of slaughter was set aside for a more subtle form of seduction. See, Constantine the Great abolished the decrees that issued persecution against the church. He declared a law that Christians were now to be free from persecution. Christians were now allowed to work, allowed to own property, allowed to have personal possessions. Thousands were compensated for their losses under the previous emperors. Now Christians were given the best places of employment, given top jobs. If you became a Christian, this is what the emperor promised you. Listen to me. 20 pieces of silver and a new outfit. There you are, ladies. You get a new dress. And you could have money in your pocket. If you simply became a Christian. Join up. Sign here. Becoming a Christian now under Constantine the Great. Was like a fast track to health. A fast track to wealth. And happiness. And a promise of course if you became a Christian. You could go automatically to heaven. But the problem was. That many were mere pretenders of Christianity. Many were mere professors now of true religion. And this attack, no longer persecution but seduction, was to prove to be an excellent strategy in the arsenal of the devil. Because the unconverted who professed to belong to Jesus Christ introduced what we could call ungodly practices into the church. 
idols began to be worshipped. Immorality surfaced. Superstition was embraced. And in a few short years, from 313 onward, the very purity of the church was replaced by a plague of worldliness. The simple gospel preacher gave way to what we could call arrogant, ungodly bishops. The supernatural gospel gave way to a superstitious gospel. Truths were set aside for tradition. And for the next thousand years, right up to about 1313, a deep spiritual darkness descended upon the land. And in that environment, the Church of Rome itself, with all its perversion of the gospel, came into prominence and dominance in Europe. And the very simple gospel that had turned the world upside down of the apostles was now lost. There was no spiritual light. The gospel was hid to but a few. The scriptures of truth and the doctrine of salvation were unknown to the masses. This was a day, sadly, for the priest, for penance, for payment, for purgatory, for the pope and the papacy. And now I come right up to the 15th century. You see, it all changed with what we'll call in history the Protestant Reformation. In the 15th century, there was a man that emerged called Martin Luther. And we could really describe him as the monk who shook the world. Because that man, now listen to me carefully, he rediscovered the gospel. He didn't invent the gospel, he rediscovered it. And the whole of Europe was rocked. And it gave birth to what we call the the Protestant Reformation or the period of the Reformers. And these Reformers, of course, had five great solas. Only the Scriptures, sola scriptura. Sola gratis, only by grace. Sola fide, only through faith. Sola Christos, only in Christ. Sola de gloria, only for the glory of God. Now this theme, this core doctrine, this cardinal doctrine that Luther rediscovered in the Augustinian monastery was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Let me just say three things very quickly about this doctrine. It says here in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. There's the rediscovery of the doctrine. Martin Luther was born on the 10th of November, 1483, a day when Europe was in the grip of spiritual darkness. As I've said, a day for the priest, the pope, penance, purgatory, payment, and prayer. Whatever the bishop or the priest said in a certain town or village or city was carried out. They did what they pleased. The people were held in spiritual darkness, superstition, and bondage. Luther himself was born into a Roman Catholic family. He grew up in the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. In 1501, when he was 19, he went to the University of Erfurt. He gained there a Bachelor of Arts degree and later a Doctor of Philosophy. And while there, he discovered a Latin translation of the Bible. 
And as he read through the book of Habakkuk, some say Habakkuk, but we'll not argue. And he discovered this in verse 4. The just shall live by faith. And that text of scripture lodged in his heart and mind. Now I believe it was put there by the Holy Spirit. And I believe it had a great impact on his life. After finishing university, he entered a monastery called an Augustinian monastery. He was a monk. He fasted, he prayed, he studied, he did penance. Yet he could not find peace for his heart and mind. He was full of spiritual trouble and fear. He feared God. He feared meeting the Lord. He found and discovered that the church that he belonged to hadn't got the answer. He was definitely full of deep conviction. He longed for peace of heart and mind. He was told by the authorities in the monastery to travel to Rome, and he did. He went to what is called the Holy City, not Jerusalem, that's Rome. We, we call Jerusalem the Holy City, and that's right, certainly not Rome. But when Luther went there, he discovered it was a centre full of sinful practices. And the story is told how he was climbing the set of steps to St. Peter's Basilica, and the text that he had discovered in the university came back to his mind. It thundered in his ears, he said, The just shall live by faith. Freedom from God's punishment for sin could not be purchased with money or with human merit. And that was in his mind. In Erfurt, he, he met a man called uh, John von Stoppitz. Stoppitz. He was actually his superior. He realized that Luther was under conviction of sin. He told Luther, this is what Stoppage told him, to look to the blood of Christ. You see, John Stoppage taught himself that true repentance was not brought about by self-inflicted <coughs> penances and punishments, but rather by a change of heart. He said to Martin, Martin, just don't believe in the forgiveness of sins. Don't we say that in the creed? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. He said to Luther, but in the forgiveness of your own sins. He told him to study the scriptures. 1507, Luther was ordained a priest. In 1508, on March the 9th, he received that bachelor's degree in biblical studies. In 1508, John Stoppage, who was the first dean of the new university in Wittenberg in Germany, sent for Luther to come and teach theology. And that's what he did. In 1512, as doctor of theology, while in Luttenberg, Luther came to grasp, understand, accept the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The church of Rome has not the answer for men's souls. In fact, I want to say that no Protestant church is or has the answer for men's souls. Because it's not the church that is the answer. It is Christ. Christ is all we need. I was telling them in Sandy Row on Thursday night. I'm not very good at mathematics. Never was at school. I'm not very good at anything at school. <coughs> but here's a little sum for you. It's called an equation. Now you know what an equation is. A equals B. No, A plus B equals C. I used to sit at school and scratch my head and wonder, A plus B equals C. How do they work that out? I could never work it out as a child. Still have trouble working it out. But here's an equation for you. 
Christ plus nothing equals everything. You see, if you've got Jesus Christ tonight, you have everything that you need. And that's what Martin Luther discovered. The just, the righteous person, he shall live and live spiritually unto God by the faith of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, Martin Luther didn't make the doctrine of justification by faith up. He didn't invent the doctrine as is claimed. He didn't formulate the doctrine in Wittenberg. He didn't make up a new religion or a new way. He rediscovered this doctrine. This was the unchanging message of the Old Testament. In fact, this is the message of the Bible. That there's one way to God through the merits of Christ received by faith alone. Uh, Didn't the psalmist, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, talk about the blessedness of the man who had sins forgiven? Sins that was carried away, sins that was covered over, sins that was cancelled out. Blessed is the man, he says, in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. That that doesn't put sins to your account. How was Abraham saved? How was David saved? The answer is, they were saved by faith. Turn over there very quickly to Romans chapter 3. and just We'll, we'll just read these verses. I, I don't have time to expound them. I wouldn't have the ability either. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can all understand that. There's no exceptions there. We're all sinners by nature and practice. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And I want to tell you. That that's a message that does not sit well today. Even in certain church circles. It makes people all comfortable. We're told today that all religions, that's the religions of the world, whether it's Christianity and its broad umbrella group, including Roman Catholicism, or whether it's the Islam religion, or whether it's Buddhism, or whatever religion it is, all religions lead to God. And I want to say I reject that completely. There is one way to God. And that way is through the merits of Christ received by faith alone. Didn't he say, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Doesn't the Bible say, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, to this very day, the Church of Rome teaches that Christ is not enough. Remember, Christ plus nothing equals everything. The Church of Rome says you need Christ plus the priest plus Mary, plus loads of other saints, plus your penance, plus purgatory, plus the confessional, plus the mass. And sadly, very sadly, many so-called Protestant churches, Protestant in name, teach the very same thing. And if we were to ask them the question that Job asked, how shall a man be just with God? Then they might tell you, Christ plus something else. 
But remember what Paul was able to say to this church in Galatia. It was an emergency epistle. They were having loads of problems with the doctrine of salvation. Uh, Paul says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He, he, he says in this quotation of Galatians 2, 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. You see, there were those that come into Galatia and said, Look, you Gentiles who are not Jews, you need Christ, but you also need the law. And you need the traditions of the Jews. And you need to follow our customs in order to be saved. And Paul, when he came, he was mortified. He withstood Peter to his face. And he says, Peter, you're wrong. You've missed it. It's Christ plus nothing that equals everything. How can a man be just with God? That's a very good question. Here's the answer. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Salvation is not what I can do. It's not by the works of our hands. Salvation is resting solely on the work of Jesus Christ. Received by faith alone. What is justification? Our catechism tells us. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardoneth all our sins. And accepteth us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And received by faith alone. There's the substance of justification. It's being legally declared righteous in the sight of God. The spring is the free grace of God. Without merit or favour. The source is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, God has set Christ forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Jesus Christ came into this world and he lived a sinless life. We keep talking about the sinless life of Christ because that's important. He kept the law of God perfectly for us. He never sinned in thought and word and deed. Of him it said he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. And it's important that you recognize the sinless life of Christ. Because Jesus Christ by his sinless life earned righteousness for his people. And it's that righteous life of Christ that's put to our account once we trust him as Lord and Savior. And it's for the righteousness of Christ that God accepts us. God accepts us in him through our union with him. Very quickly, and our time has gone on. Not only a, a rediscovery of the gospel, but a redeclaration of the gospel. See, that's what Paul's doing here when he confronts Peter face to face. He's redeclaring this cardinal doctrine. Martin Luther knew that he was not saved by works, works were not the ground of his salvation. He knew he was not saved without them. Because the Bible talks in Ephesians 2 and 10. We're saved unto good works. Luther knew that God's salvation changes lives. Makes men different. If any man be in Christ he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And Martin Luther having rediscovered the gospel. Set about redeclaring the gospel. And he did it in four ways. By preaching. See he preached in the, Witten, he preached in the University of Wittenberg. Like no other preacher. 
And here's a summary of what he preached. Now let me just read it to you. If I can read my scroll. The first and chief article is this. Jesus Christ our Lord and God died for our sins. And was raised again for our justification. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has laid in him the iniquity of us all. All have sinned and are justified freely without their own works and merits. By his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus in his blood. This is necessary to believe. This cannot be otherwise acquired or grasped by any work, law or merit. Therefore, it is clear and certain that this faith alone justifies us. Nothing of this article, that's justification by faith alone, can be yielded or surrendered, even though heaven and earth and everything else fails. Now, that's from one of his sermons, a direct quotation. He went on in another sermon to talk about justification being the article upon which the true church stands or falls you see he couldn't keep this message to himself he was declaring it in his preaching to his students he was declaring it in his protests 31st of october friday past uh, is the anniversary of the day when he nailed his 95 theses to the church door at wittenberg 1517 what a day in history that was i can almost hear the thump of the nails on the door, reverberating round Wittenberg and throughout the whole of Europe. See what had happened? John Tetzel came into Wittenberg. He came in selling indulgences. An indulgence is a, a paper promise from the Pope to pardon you for sins past, present and future. So if you wanted to steal something, if you had a million pounds and I wanted to steal it, I could go first and purchase a paper pardon pay the Pope so much money, get the paper pardon, and then go and steal your money. And when you brought me up the court, I'll say, not guilty, Your Honour, for I've got a paper pardon here from the Pope, and you have to let me go. And that's the way it worked. And Luther, of course, was furious. And in his 95 Theses, he set forth the message of the Gospel. See, he rediscovered Christ and his salvation. And he reeled against the seal of indulgences. His prayers I've mentioned. Those were special prayer meetings with the children. 30, 40, 50, 60, hundreds of children gathered in for prayer meetings. Early morning and late at night. They loved to hear the children pray. And his own prayers. Crying to God. And then... A redeclaration in printing. The Gutenberg Press had just been invented. And Luther used that newly found means of distributing literature in a very fast way to get the message out to the masses. And it was on that very printing press that the German Bible was introduced into the life of Germany in the tongue of the people. And then there was also praise. We could add a fifth way. He was a great hymn writer. And we have sung one of his hymns tonight. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark. 
never failing. There was a redeclaration of the gospel in these ways. And we would encourage you to support the preacher of the gospel. Support the preaching ministry. We would say to you there will be days when we in the church need to protest against error and falsehood. And that is right that we do it and do it in a loving way. We need the prayers of God's people. We need to use all available means, whether it's the printing press or the internet or whatever, to to get the message out to the masses. And we need to give praise to God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, never failing. And no matter what the devil throws against the church, and he's throwing much against the church today, the devil will fail. Do you know why? Because we have Christ's promise, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One final thought, and you've been very patient. Luther was not only one who rediscovered the gospel and who redeclared the gospel, but he was a real defender of the doctrine. Philippians 1.17 says, like Paul, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. You see, Luther, of course, was strongly opposed. He was branded as a heretic. Eventually, he was summoned to the Diet of Worms, And it was there at the Diet he made his famous speech. He was asked to recant. And I quote, Unless I'm convinced by the teaching of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the popes or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scripture I have quoted. And my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. That was in 1521. Luther that night uh, somehow was brought out from the Diet of Worms. He escaped from Worms. He went to Wartburg Castle. It was there for a couple of years. He translated the Bible from uh, the original tongue, from Hebrew and Greek, into the German tongue. And um, through that way, they got the gospel in the Bible to the masses in Germany. And you know what I'm telling you tonight is real history. But you know, Oftentimes, and I say this as we finish, that our history, we we have seemed to have lost sight of it. And we have lost the sense and the wonder of it. If you think of a people who sit in darkness, and then all of a sudden the light comes, what a difference the light makes. And that's what happened in Europe. 1,300 years almost, or or at least 1,000 years of superstition and darkness. We have got the light for so many years. God has been good to this land from the days of Patrick right up to the present. And he has blessed us so much with, with um, <coughs> truth of the gospel. And yet I wonder, have we lost sight of it? So much so that the familiarity of it has almost bred a, a sense of contempt in our heart and in our mind. We were singing there deliberately, how marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. Is it really marvellous? Is it really wonderful? Is it something personally you thank God for? And you thank God the day 
that you were shown your need of Christ. And the day that you received Christ as Lord and Saviour. And as Malcolm and his family have sung here tonight, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. If someone comes and says, I'll make you like a billionaire or a millionaire. But the deal is, you'll never think of Christ. You'll have nothing to do with him. You'll never mention his name. You'll die without him. Would you choose the millions? Would you want to become a billionaire and have nothing to do with Christ? Think of the hymn, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Dr. Douglas told us a few nights ago in Lisburn, at least I heard that he said this, I wasn't actually at the meeting, that he believed that Christ was making reference to Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great from Egypt 22 to 32 conquered the whole world from Greece to the borders of India. What shall a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What's more important? You see, this is history tonight I'm telling you. But what does it mean to you personally in the 21st century? You've got the light. You've heard the truth. You know you're a sinner. You know you need to be saved. You've got a soul. Just simply ask yourself, is it marvellous and wonderful to me? Or am I a stranger to it all? Which would you choose? The riches of the world or the redeemer of the word? May the Lord bless this truth to your heart.